Food Talk with Mike Colomeco is brought to you by Cento at Cento.com, King Arthur at KingArthurFlower.com, Colavita at Colavita.com, and Wines of Portugal at WinesOfPortugal.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Folks, welcome. Mike Colomeco here. You're listening to Mike Colomeco's Food Talk on Heritage Radio Network, live via the internet. CE.org? CE.strength.org. Sorry about that. We're doing, home, we're, doing, we're doing late production work here behind the scenes. Anyway, we've got a fun show coming at us in a few minutes. Um, my first guest is Anita Lowe, a chef here based in New York that I've known for quite some time. She still, I used to live in that neighborhood. I moved out when I had to buy something. You don't need the headphones if you don't want to wear them. You can hear me with that fine without them. Yeah, we're not taking calls on this okay. show. Um, yeah, but a great neighborhood. So we'll talk to you. We're going to talk about a bunch of things, a couple of events that are coming up, one of them that Anita is front and center of. Um, it's Share Our Strength Taste of the Nation, New York City. I'm reading a press blurb verbatim. New York City's hottest chef's restaurant tours and mixology tonight for April 28th fundraising event to help end childhood hunger. We're going to talk about that because it's a huge issue. We've heard you've heard me talk about that on this show before, so this is right in our wheelhouse. Um, after Anita departs the station and drifts into the epicenter of Brooklyn hipsterdom and irony and beards and hair with product in them. Yep, that's us. That's Bushwick. I will have Risto. Zizovsky coming on the show. Risto, I knew from his days on the floor at various restaurants. He's a wine guy extraordinaire, and we're going to talk about wine. So if you're into wine and you're into food, stay tuned. That's what's coming up on the next hour here. Um, let's just launch into this. So we'll go. And Anita's in the studio. It's, it's a shit day. Man, you believe this weather? <laughs> right? I mean, does this suck or what? Merry it's Christmas. fucking April. It yeah. snowed. It snowed the other night. And I get around on my bicycle, and it, it's like cold. It's cold. <laughs> Tip of the vortex. Tip of the... I mean, and like, this is like winter wins. I'm just, you know, I, I'm rolling over. Winter won. I lost. This is, we're done. We just go away, take the prize, take it. We just... I actually, last week, I kind of put away, like, my winter stuff. I had it out again this week. I had to, like, go dig through the back of the closet to find the big coat, the scarf, the hat. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> Whatever. So, let's talk about this event. So... It's a huge issue. I've talked about this on the show before. Sometimes it's easy for us in the food world, uh, our little food world. You know, we eat in great restaurants, and we're surrounded by farmer's markets, and we can go to bespoke butcher shops where all the meat is humanely raised and organically fed and pastured and slaughtered in a humane way. And, you know, we just kind of live in this bubble where our biggest problem is, like, what wine to pair with fucking dinner, and yet there's a whole bunch of people who have trouble getting calories to survive the month or the day in America. It's crazy. And in the last 10 years, as we've really seen the sort of lower end of the economic spectrum just pounded to a pulp, it's really not unusual for families. A lot of these are single-parent families, single-mom families, 
by the third week of the month, when the benefits that came available the first of the month are running out, to decide, what, are we going to take a bus today or take the subway or are we going to eat dinner? Like, there's that little money. Um, I know Jorge, who's the executive chef at the, uh, for the New York City public school system. They feed a million kids a day. It's the largest public school system in, in the city. And, of course, that breakfast program is so integral for so many kids because for a lot of them, it might, you know, it might be the first thing they've really had to eat in 12 hours or longer. So talk about what this event is, when it's happening, your involvement in it, and who's involved, and I'll shut up. <laughs> okay, well, this is a, um, on April 28th. We're having a walk-around tasting and market event um, downtown. And it, it supports Share Our Strength No Kid Hungry campaign. Um, and what Share Our Strength is trying to do is to connect um, families uh, to programs um, where they could get breakfast, where they could get um, after-school dinners or, and um, summer, summer, summer meals. Um, a lot of the kids that, uh, that, that um, qualify for this aren't getting it. Um, so... Um, this is a, a great event. We've got uh, we've got over seventy five uh, chefs uh, participating. Um, I'm here just to help spread the word and. To well, thanks help for coming out. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your name was thrown into the hat, and I'm like, I haven't had a need out here yet. We had Bill Telepanic a little while ago. Yeah. We know Bill's really involved with school and education, and he's got a whole other thing that he does with school programs, school lunch programs, trying to get kids to eat better food in schools. But so, it was thank thank you for coming out. Um, what's the date? April 28th, And how Monday. do, there's a shortcut, and I'm sure I wrote it down wrong, um, if people want to find out where to buy tickets, because one of the great things about this, I'm, I've always been, I'm just like a curmudgeon kind of guy, and I remember years ago, like, like the Beard House, when Lenny was there, like wondering where all that money went, you know, where'd it go? We found out where it went, and Lenny went to jail. But I've always been suspicious of, like, events where you sort of like, all right, the tickets are 200 bucks, but... You know, is this buying somebody's Prada's bag or, or somebody's fancy shoes? And the answer is, uh, it looks like 100% of the proceeds from this are going directly to the charity. R- correct? I, I believe so, yeah. That's what I, I, It's true. It's true. Someone, someone nod their head on that side. I, I read it somewhere. I tried to do some homework before this one. And it's somebody, it's some of 75 of New York's really top chefs. I don't want to do the list because I'll leave people out. It's not fair, but it's really big names, really big restaurants. That's, um, that would take a long time. It would take a really long time and be really, really boring because it would just be like a laundry <laughs> list. Um, so, and then there was that shortcut. Now, the shortcut for buying tickets is ce.strength.org. So the letters ce.strength.org. Bang. That directs you there. Or just Google Share Our Strength and it'll come up, I'm sure, on a web search um, there's $225 for general admission, four and a quarter for VIP. Super VIP is a lot more money than that, but you'll see that when you go to the website. But the, the cause is great. Um, do you know what you're going to make that night? I'm, I'm actually not making anything. I have helped coordinate some of these chefs and their dishes. And it's taking place where, what's the name of the restaurant? I wrote it down. It's an event space or is it a restaurant? It's an event space on Mercer Street. 82 Hold Mercer. I have my, I have somewhere. 82 I've got Mercer. To, 82 Mercer. Uh, again, that's April 28th. And it, again, you know, it's a huge issue. It's funny because I think I was just talking to Aaron, who's, who hosts a, a show here on the station, about how it's really easy as I think sort of New York or West Coast, but not in my case, we're New York foodie elite to sort of, you know, debate the 
benefits of vegetarian cuisine versus pescatarian versus vegan and worry <laughs> worry about you know like the the passports on our, our you know is our bluefin tuna this and yet there's in in this city that we're sharing with some of the people there's so many people that just don't have enough to eat it's crazy yeah um i had I used to spend more time down there because I used to live closer by, but there's a um, New York City rescue mission down on Lafayette Street. It's the oldest rescue in the country. It goes back to the 1800s, and I used to do their Mother's Day, their Thanksgiving. We created an event when I was at WR called the Super Bowl, S-O-U-P. Uh, there was a one-week event leading up to the Super Bowl where we would raise money for them. And again, I just watched how, how those beds, how, how many more people were needing. You know, homeless shelters are full. People have no place to go. It's, it's, it's nuts. All right, you're agreeing. We're all in agreement with this. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. So, again, so here's the event. We'll get back to this in a couple of minutes. But it's coming up. It's in April. It's a great cause because I, I really don't want to get – I get pitched stuff constantly um, for shout-outs on the radio. I mean, forget the stuff. Forget the new corn chips or the new salsa that I don't care anything about. But also a lot of events I sort of step clear of because I'm not so sure. This one looks great, and I, it's really um, a great cause – April 28th, the website is ce.strength.org, or just throw into a search engine and share our strength event 2014. It'll come up. Um, it's the No Kid Hungry campaign, and it is a real live issue here in Gotham City, as it is across America. So, want to do good? That's a place to do good. Now, speaking of doing good, we're going to switch gears. Congratulations on the Times Review. Oh, thank you so much. You're a chef. Again, I was in your neighborhood. You're on Barrow Street, is that right? Yes. That little, tiny, little, kind of little street. And it's a great little jewel of a restaurant. How many years? 14. Holy mackerel. Been that long. <laughs> well, you know, there was a time when there weren't that many women chefs in this business. Um, I'm 57, so when I came to New York in 1982... If you were a graduate of the CIA, because there weren't that many cooking schools with Johnson & Wales or the CIA or maybe a technical school somewhere. But the kitchens were run 99.9% by European males, French, German, Swiss. Women came into the kitchen, recently culinary graduate, garmanger or pastry. Yeah, absolutely. That was it. It was yeah. like, I don't know. I didn't, and I don't know why. I just accepted as that yeah. was doctrine. That's the way it was. Yeah, you know? Even when I started um, much later. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it not was, much later, but that's, yeah, <laughs> that's just the way yeah, it was, yeah. and so it's it sort of. I, I began to notice pastry kitchens began to be run by phenomenal female pastry chefs because it wasn't always. By the time I came along, it was an all all guy affair. Pastry chefs were. I mean, all, everybody was a guy. Everybody. Right. The sommelier was a guy. The maitre d was a guy. I mean, women were just relegated to coach, check, hostess. Garmanger and pastry. But it began to percolate up through pastry where you just go into the pastry departments of, say, Gramercy Tavern or Chanterelle, and there were these brilliant women just killing it in there. And then at some point, maybe it was just the sheer numbers of women going into cooking schools and coming out and working their way up. We're seeing so many more step to the top. Um, we've had some on this show, and part of it was a reaction to, I think everyone's just jaw-dropping reaction to that Times, New, not New York, but Time Magazine article last year, the gods of cuisine or whatever the fuck it was called. Was food, like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, whoa, no women. Yeah. Really? Like, who, I'm like, whoever wrote that, if they still had a job, I'm like astonished. Like, didn't the editor, <laughs> doesn't anyone read this stuff He's and a go, regular of mine. Huh? <laughs> He's a regular of mine. <laughs> okay, well, I hope he tips well, but it's like, you're... Well, that, 
I mean, that's the trouble I have with being in this business is, you know, just do your fucking homework. If you're going to write shit, like, do your homework. Like, come on. It's really – you have to go out of your way not to have women in an article like that. This, but I read this stuff all the time in the press. So what drew you into this business? I'm curious because you were, you, you were kind of in that early pioneering push of a time when women were scarce, not just as chefs but opening restaurants as chef restaurateurs, which is what you did. What drew you into the business? You know, I was studying French at the time, and I came from a food-obsessed family. I also came from a family. You know, my mother was a, a doctor. Oh, you um, know. Yeah, so she 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 was a very hard worker, and um, she was, you know, a female doctor in a time when there really weren't many at all. Um, so, An Asian woman, female doctor in yes. a time when there were very few yes. women doctors. Period. Yes. So, add another box checked yeah. minority. Yeah. So, and I was um, I was. Uh, trying to learn how to cook for myself because I was, you know, in college and uh, studying French and I had done a, a language program um, at Reed Hall over in um, in Paris and I, I fell in love mm. with that city mm. and I ended up going to cooking school. Yeah, uh, Paris, if you've never been, is just fucking transformational. Yeah. I could, I mean, if, if I had the money, which I don't and never will, I, mean, I could just <laughs> see having like, where do you live? Well... You know, New York, Paris, and Key West or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just depends, you know, depends right. on the weather forecast for the next 10 days. Paris is amazing. It's just, the French are just, it's, it's an amazing food culture. Yeah. It's just so integral to what they do. And you don't get it till you go there. And you realize that there's, you know, five million chocolatiers, that there's a little pastry spot everywhere, that there's affinage cheese places there, that it's food and French cuts, kind of just like Italy, just like a lot of that part of Europe. It, it matters more to them than anything, I think. More than politics, more than right. religion, almost. It's just food is like front and center. Well, so you fe- went to Paris, fell in love with food. Yeah, you which know? is parallel to Chinese culture, which is you which know, is insane. Which is what my, uh, yeah. which is what where I come from on some level, or part of where I come from at least. Yeah, actually, um, um, Alice Waters, same sort of story. Alice Waters was. I mean, her her story goes that you know she's in Paris, drinking raw, eating raw oysters, soup, sip, sipping muscadet, and saying, "Whoa!" You know, the girl from Chatham, New Jersey, a little waspy kid that had never grown up in a food culture, and you know, she's really sort of the great mom of, I think, a lot of the female chefs today. Yeah. A goddess Reese's. of food, yeah. Goddess of food. I'll <laughs> leave for the word. Thank yeah. you. Yes, goddess <laughs> of food is not. An, an unapt description. Chez Panisse is a legendary restaurant. We filmed there, I think, our first or second season on PBS. Ate there a few times. I mean, that room, her, it's just great. So, cooking school? Yes. So, f- f- finished college, then went to cooking school? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I went to, uh, I took some classes the summer after my junior year of, of college. And then after I graduated from um, college, I went to work at Boulay, and then I went back to get my degree. Damn, I, the I old Boulay. Yeah, the, the old, original Boulay. The old Boulay, yeah. Wow, what a great kitchen. Yeah, yeah. That was great, yeah. Yeah, that's, that was really... I, I remember that eating at that restaurant. I mean, the fucking food couldn't have come out any slower. David was always famous for that. <laughs> it was like, you're kidding me. We were there like... But it was four, perfect no, but it was by the perfect, time we got it out. By the time you got it, yeah. like an hour later. It's like, okay, should we order the third bottle of wine? Or can we... No, I literally remember like the first time I ate there. The room was amazing. You'd step off of... It wasn't Dwayne. You'd open up those big oak doors into that foyer. Yeah. And there were those big wooden thing of apples. And yeah. That vaulted ceiling that you'd, see, that you'd seen in, in Europe in wine cellars. 
right. um, the space between the tables. It was just it was the most gracious dining room in the city by far. Nothing came close. Maybe the Four Seasons, but that's a different story. But this was much more French country. This was it had its stamp on it that was very different. Um, and the food was great, except it just, it did, really did. I mean, David just he's never made any compromises. It was just like. It'll go out when it's ready. And I remember sitting down with – I was the chef at the Ritz-Carlton then. I was with my, gener- my GM, and we ordered, um, we ordered food. We ordered wine, and we finished a bottle of wine before the appetizers came. It was 45 minutes to an hour. But when it got there, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> so Boulay and then where? Who else did you train with? Uh, David Waltuck at Chanterelle. Oh, that's so cool. See, yeah. another one of my heroes. David's amazing. David and Karen. I mean, they're just – and talk about a European, another restaurant that sort right, of had that feel. Right, right. Even when they were on Green Street in the first place, it was just like, by then I'd gone to Paris. And I remember like, there was nothing done in Soho. And you'd walk down the street, and those little half curtains, the unadorned walls. Oh, that was beautiful. Just beautiful. Yeah. It was minimalist aesthetic. Yeah. And David's cooking. I mean, David was like a self-taught genius. He yeah. didn't work for anybody. Yeah. You know, did a couple stages at diners here and there and loved Chinese food. Did he, was he doing his Chinese New Year stuff when you were there? Yes, in, f- in fact, yeah. In cra- in yeah. Crazy. That would be a little party for insiders and friends and friends and family and staff where he'd close the restaurant for a day for Chinese New Year's and do mise en place for a week leading into it and just invite everyone to come eat, and the food was amazing. So wh- so 14 years at Anissa. Give us the address so for people that are listening when it want to go. Uh, 13 Barrow, just uh, east of 7th Avenue South. S- when did you get the idea to do that restaurant, and how did it come about in that space? Well, you know, I, I live in the West Village, and you know, I definitely wanted to do something downtown because I, I just felt I'd be better understood downtown. Um, you know, and I had had several executive chef jobs before, and I I realized that I really needed full creative freedom. I, you know, I. I had seen how crazy it is to own a restaurant. I didn't necessarily want my own restaurant. You know, David Waltuck was like, yeah, do you really want to do that? <laughs> yeah. And um, luckily didn't ask Karen because she was right. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> of course I did it anyway. Right. And now I tell, you know, my offspring as well, do you really want to do that? And they do it anyway. Um, but yeah. And, um, you know, we looked for a space for two years and we had a couple fall through. The usual. And uh, then this one came along and I... I you know, I hated it. I mean, I didn't hate it. I just, I didn't like the way it was laid out at first. And uh, my then partner, Jennifer, um, you know, uh, drew drew a nice uh, floor plan and um, just got me really excited about the space. And we took it. How many seats? 40-something? 40 48. 48. That's what it feels like. And the kitchen's not huge. It's a typical New York line. Yeah. <laughs> Back left corner. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's quite small. It's it's bigger than this little tiny room, but it's um, not much bigger. Yeah, it's a typical New York kitchen. I, yeah. I've peeked in a few times I've been in for meals. Um, you're just coming off of a great review, but I want to back up because you're a great story. I, I really admire people that have that sort of stick to I talk a lot on this show, and I, I tried on the PBS show, and, and without overemphasizing it, that I think that our business is over... I don't want to say glorified, but I kids watch food TV now. I mean, I have, I've had people come up to me on the street and say, oh, my God, I love your show. I watched, grew up watching the Food Network and PBS. Yeah. I want to go to the French Culinary and become a chef. And I'm like, don't. <laughs> you know, right. so, it is so not. I mean, if you, what I'm doing has nothing to do with that. And, and when I started cooking, my biggest dream would have been to, to have become a chef somewhere. And then maybe if I dreamt big to have a restaurant where I owned it. And that was it. Right. I mean, there was no career in this meat. It did, did not exist. 
And the truth of the matter is that once you're once you sign on to become a, a cook, dreaming of being a chef, a little easier than it used to be in my day and, and in your day too. But you know, you're gonna be working fifty, sixty hours a week and probably not paid for ten of those and gonna come in early and stay late and you're gonna get burned and cut and work nights and holidays and it kinda sucks. Yeah, you have to be obsessed. You have to be nuts. Now you had to, <laughs> what I'm getting at is you had a couple of years, so I so I lived on Abington Square, and I would see you around. I'd walk. Now I have a bicycle like you. Now that they've got all those lanes, and it's gotten so much more civilized to bike around town. Um, but you had a year when you opened up a second restaurant on Bleecker, and had a fire at the original restaurant. Oh God, yeah, I forgot and, about that fire. <laughs> oh well, I remember just thinking this is like biblical shit. Because the one on Bleecker didn't work. Tough yeah. spot. There were a couple of spots that came in after you. Didn't work either. Yeah. Bleecker's a funny place, man. I don't know. It's Ralph Lauren and Mark Jacobs. They can have the whole fucking thing in my book now because that's yeah. all it's become. But you had about a year and a half to two years when it was just... I don't know how you got out of bed in the morning. Well, <laughs> you, you, you have to. You don't really have a choice. Um, I suppose you could stay in bed, as some people do. But, I, you know, what else are you going to do? You've got people that... Are relying on relying on you. You know, you've got employees, you've got dogs. You know, um, and the so fire thing going. was was it was it an issue with insurance and the landlord because that was you were stuck there. You couldn't rebuild the space for a while. Oh yeah, at Anissa after the we had the big fire that closed us down. Um, it, yeah, it took forever to get the insurance money, That's and, what it was. and then it wasn't enough. That's what it was. But on top of it, um, our lease was running out, so we had to we had to renegotiate that, and there was no way I was going to start construction without getting that signed and yeah it just we thought we had lost it on three uh, on at least three occasions crazy yeah. and that and it took what would between the time it closed for the fire and the time you reopened what are we looking at two years no no no, no it's nine months does it see it seemed like two years to me yeah. so i maybe was just thinking <laughs> of you all the time a God. tough gestation yeah, yeah. well that's <laughs> that was that actually that's not bad that's fast the most recent review talk about it three stars yes fantastic yeah. Great. And and really got the food. Talk about the kind of food that you're doing and have always done, in your words, because I hate... Yeah, I mean, it's me contemporary American. It. It's, you know, it's a personal cuisine. I, I, I draw on influences from all over the world. Um, my training is French, so that is much of the base technique that I use. But, um, you know, I have a very adventurous palate, and, um, you know, I, it, it's a seasonal cuisine. Contemporary American is a very large yeah. um, category. Uh, as Buffett's a very large country. Uh, and as ethnically diverse as we are. Exactly. And as ingredient diverse as we are. Yeah, right. Exactly. You, you can kind of, there's yeah. a lot of crayons yeah. in that box. So, yeah. So, um, let's try not to put it in too small of a box. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, you're still in the kitchen. You're still coming in, playing, tinkering, doing stuff, creating menus, doing all that creative stuff, right? Uh, yes. Um, re- well, recently I had a knee replacement, so I was uh, I Correct. was pulled out a little bit. But, right, you um, can't be on the line with a bum. Yeah, <laughs> with a new knee. But I have a wonderful chef de cuisine, Mariatia, um, who is really doing a fantastic job, as evidenced by our three stars. So, when did, yeah. when did you find her? She came up with uh, you, you. Yeah, she came up with me. Um, she has been with me for I want to say almost three years. Yeah. So um, yeah, but she started as an intern. No kidding. Yeah. Graduate of one of the local schools? Yes. Uh, uh, ICE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Good for you. So that's great. Yeah. So we'll have to get her in here someday and spread the love. I mean, that's good Good news. In her 30s? Yeah, uh, 30. That's great. So Incredibly it, talented. Yeah, it must be. I mean, yeah. three-star review. And let's face it, I mean... You know, even it's great to see John George last week getting recognized again, and I love—I really like the reference that um, Wells had to the fact that you know this guy was this guy was cooking four stars the Lafayette right. before a lot of chefs today could peel a fucking banana. Right. No shit. Yeah, because guys like him and Danielle and my old boss Christian Delouvrier—I mean, those guys to me are just the heroes in that they've stayed in. But but to my broader point, you know, for, with John George. It's not just his palate and his discipline, but it's his teamwork. I mean, you don't have as many restaurants as he does yeah. and not have teamwork. So, you know, we have to sort of give credit to the people that are sort of the, in, in there every day on the line executing at that level for the chef. And that's, that's what you have with your crew. Absolutely. How many people in the kitchen? Um, we have five cooks, but uh, only three are on the line at one point. And then there's um, either myself or my chef de cuisine is, is or my sous chef at this point. Um, is is there as well? So four people on the line at, at all time. When you take holidays, you get some time off. Do you ever get to take three weeks off and go somewhere? I've never taken three weeks off, but I have. <laughs> um, we closed for ten days at the end of August. Felt at, like three every weeks. year. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! What am I going to do now? A whole day? <laughs> no, love it, love it, love it. Yeah. And I, I know for me, it's like I mean to your point earlier, and advice to young cooks thinking about it you have to love this business because it pretty much eclipses everything else in your life yeah i mean i think david boulet used to say he was a monomaniacal fiend or i'm not quite sure exactly what he said but yeah yeah and and i know when i was coming up and when i had my places it's sort of all you do is that's all you think about it's all you almost you dream about food it's like just it becomes kind of part of your like your dna yeah, I mean, I I basically checked out of uh, popular culture in the uh, <laughs> early '90s, you know. Um, yeah, people do trivia with like music from the '80s and '90s, and I'm like, how the fuck would I know? <laughs> do you know what I did then? Right. <laughs> I mean, I worked six or seven days a week, right. and I went in at noon, and I came home at two in the morning, and my day off, I did laundry. Fuck you! Oh, I don't God, know any yeah. of those songs. I don't know any of those sitcoms. Yeah. I watch Miami Vice now. It's great. It's all new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who is this guy this is cool shit yeah i just rediscovered tv but now that now because you have got net netflix before yeah. i mean for decades all i ever watched was you know the news yeah. at, when i got home at night yeah. i know it's so funny and, and we had those little boxes those vhs's i would tape sports or something right you'll know, come home and watch like the game and fast forward right. it and it was so retro you look back now and you think whoa really grandpa that was really, is that how you did shit yeah that's how we did shit if we even had tvs um Changing menus. What are what are a couple of dishes now you have on the menu that you want to talk about? If you want to talk about them, I, I haven't been there in a while, so I, I can't say. We had dinner last night, and I love the thing that we that you made. So talk about a couple of things that you're stoked about that are on the menu, or maybe some long-standing things on the menu. Well, we just brought in a um, a buffalo. It's a buffalo a strip loin um, that we're we're searing, and uh, we're serving it with uh, some caraway seeds, some. Um, some uh, spring onions, uh, some uh, baby spring carrots, uh, some peas, uh, and um, it also has a horseradish froth on it. So mm. it's, um, I, it, w- this was a, an idea that I came up with my chef de cuisine who was from Buffalo, New York. <laughs> and we, Not known necessarily for bison, more right. for its wings. But they've got, well, they also have this, this, this famous uh, sandwich called beef on weck. And it's a, it's a roast beef sandwich with um, 
a caraway on a mm. caraway seated roll with horseradish. And so, you know, we've got a buff, buff. Yeah, I thought it was funny. That's funny. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good story. I like it. And buffalo meat's really good. I remember, like, years ago discovering it probably at Whole Foods, believe it or not, which is embarrassing. Um, when I was looking for alternatives, I was looking to lose some weight, and I wanted to eat, like, you know, I'd love to eat dry-aged 60-day strips all night long, but I don't think it's going to work diet-wise. And I remember looking at that meat and just seeing no marble. Just like this red protein, and thinking, oh no, and they're taking it home and just ch- 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 cast iron pan. Yeah, it's really tender. Salt, pepper, yeah. and just going, holy fuck, this is delicious! Like, how did it take me forty nine years to? N- well, because it wasn't really in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, this recently. one's this one's grain finished, so it has a little bit of um, it is formed and it's grain finished. It has a little a uh, little bit of fat, but we also serve it with bone marrow. I forgot that part. <laughs> You're running a Whoops. restaurant. You're not running a spa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went out to dinner a few weeks ago and had um, had Pierre de Cochon at uh, at Manetta, and they sent out marrow, and I was like, you know, I'm here, whatever, <laughs> I'll just work out extra hard tomorrow, because I'm not going to make Pierre de Cochon, and I know what's in it, and I know it ain't good for you, but what the hell, that's where, that's where we go out to eat. I take Lipitor. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, so why? <laughs> and I work out, so right. I'm, I'm covering all bases, folks. Um so we'll go go back to the event one more time. So that's because another reason you're here. Thanks for coming in anyway. And I can't. I mean, I was. I read the Times Tuesday night. I'm sort of like I like wince when I open up that review because as an ex chef and restaurateur, we always occasionally we agree with them. A lot of times we don't agree with them, and it, there's a lot of weight to those reviews. A bad review can cost people their living, their restaurant, their marriage. Right. Uh, their banknotes. I mean, right. you know what? The downward spiral can be endless. And consequently, the other way, a good review can mean that phone rings off the hook for the next 90 days and you're booked for a year. So, I mean, it swings both ways. But when someone who I champion is on the right side of that equation, I'm like, get the pom poms out. So, congratulations again. Three stars is fantastic. Thank you. Great, great stuff. Um, and if you want to try. If you want to meet it, will you be at this event signing books or something? Or yeah, I'm signing hands? books. All right. And if you I want to meet there, a Nina yeah. Lowe and a whole shitload of other talented New York chefs, again, it's 75 chefs. I will not go on and name them all, but it, it's a great bunch of people. I know a lot of them personally. The event's coming up April the um, 28th or 15th? Where, where, 28th. It's a uh, Monday. April 28th. It's a Monday. The address is 82 Mercer Street. The shortcut is the letter C, the letter E, dot strength, dot org, or just go to Share Our Strengths website, throw it into a search engine, No Kid Hungry, Share Our Strength will work, any of those tickets are available. It's great. It'll be downtown, it'll be fun, a lot of fun chefs, some really good booze being poured, some really good mixologists, 7 to 10 p.m., Check it out. Again, ce.strength.org. Anita Lowe, thanks for coming out, and congratulations on everything, and good luck with getting that knee better. <laughs> thanks so much. Hey, man, thanks. Let's take a break, folks. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with my next guest, Risto Zizovsky, and we're going to talk about wine. <laughs> <laughs>
Restaurant Records. Hey folks, Mike Kilimeko here. When I want to make great tomato sauce at home, it really starts with the best. Uh, for years and years and years, I've been using Cento Brand San Marzano tomatoes. You know, it's funny. I use them because they had this great reputation as being a great tomato. I cut them against other samples of tomatoes when I had my restaurant back in the day and was a chef that was in charge of purchasing and just thought they were great. So I knew in my mouth that I liked them, but I had to see why. So, oh, about seven or eight years ago, I went on a trip to the San Marzano region, which sits just outside of Naples, Italy, really in the shadows of Mount Vesuvius. It looked nothing like I expected. Most of the farms are small farms, small family farms. They've got a really long season, about five or six seasons, actually. Starts in April or May and runs through October, November. Beautiful volcanic soil, incredibly clean water, just great tomatoes. All of Cento's San Marzano tomatoes, from the seeds to the fields to the production facility, are certified by an independent agency, which guarantees the traceability. So when you're looking for great-tasting canned tomatoes, look no further. Spend the extra couple of pennies. Look for that bright yellow Cento can. Yeah, it's the best. It's what I use. It's what great chefs use in their kitchens because, frankly speaking, there's nothing like it. Hey, folks. Mike Kalameko here. Years back when I had my own restaurant, I had to figure out what kind of oils to use. You know, try to make money in the restaurant business. So, uh, you know, the most expensive oil wasn't the choice, but I had to use an oil that was great, an oil that I would use at home and also for my customers. Came upon... Colavita olive oil, um, which to this day still stands head and shoulders above everybody in that extra virgin category in the supermarket shelves. So much of the extra virgin category is dominated by labels that sound like they're Italian. You know, they end with an O or something like that. But the truth is they're tank farm blends that come out of Italy, but what's in the jar or the can is oils from all over the world that are just bought on price. It's commodity oils. Uh, Colavita is the only one that's an extra virgin that's 100% Italian origin traceable. It's a great company. They really built their brand on the U.S. market. They get the U.S. market. So if you're looking for a super extra virgin olive oil, use the one that I've been using for years on my table at home and in my restaurants, wherever I was hanging my chef's toque, and that would be Colavita Extra Virgin. True Italian, great oil. A couple of years ago, for the first time, 
I got to visit Portugal. Don't ask me why I never had. I'd been all around it. Been to France, been to Spain, been to Italy, been all over Europe, but for some reason not Portugal. Well, I'm glad I went. I, I knew they had great seafood, and I knew they had great viticulture, and I knew the food culture was great. I mean, just look at the neighborhood they live in. But what I didn't know was about the wines. And when we think of Portugal, we think of port wine, which is true. The wines that are port made around the Douro River is an astonishing thing, unique to the region. But what I didn't realize was Portugal has over 250 indigenous varietals grown there. Just kind of blew me away. So the, the microclimates were amazing. You had arid, you had dry, you had elevations, you have coastal, you had some kind of steep mountainous where they had to manufacture on a terrace. It's really great. Super friendly, food-friendly wines, really good white wines of all types of styles, and really beautiful red wines that work with it. Um, and most importantly for me, these are the wines that pair really well with food. Um, I don't drink wine as a standalone. I drink it with meal. Uh, so if you're looking for the new world of wines, try Portuguese wines. I think they're going to have their day. Uh, I fell in love with them. I'm going to be filming there in a couple of weeks, actually, to close out my PBS season. So I'll let you know when that show airs. You'll learn a lot more about it. But um, you can visit them also. Uh, or join Wines of Portugal USA on Facebook or Twitter at WPT USA, Wines of Portugal. King Arthur Flower, established in 1790, is America's oldest flower company. They're an employee-owned company whose passion is sharing the joy of baking and inspiring bakers worldwide. When King Arthur was founded in 1790, George Washington was the newly elected president of the United States. The company was sold by the Sands family to King Arthur Flower employees in 1996. They are now an ESOP company, 100% employee-owned, with a 100% commitment to quality. Visit them at kingarthurflower.com. Hey folks, welcome back. Mike Kalameko here. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, Mike Kalameko's Food Talk. You know, there's a lot... I'm sure you know this if you're listening, because you didn't... Unlike my previous gig, you didn't... Uh, you didn't switch channels on your car radio and find this. You've come to this destination on purpose. But if you, uh, if you like what you're listening to, there's a ton of shows here on Heritage. There's a lot of really talented hosts. All the shows are different, but they share one thing in common. They're about food, about food politics, about farming, about you know the life that we live in this world of food in America today. So you can... Um, Donate at HeritageRadio.org. It wouldn't hurt if you like what you're hearing. It's kind of like the NPR PBS thing. Anyway, so that's, that's the story. So I'm going to talk for the next half hour with Risto, um, who is what's, – what's your title? Because I don't um, – uh, Beverage director. Beverage director for Alta Maria Group. Alta Maria Group, yeah. Which is Michael White's growing enterprise. Yes, sir. Which at this point I have lost count of restaurants in New York City, not to mention London, not to mention China, not to mention Dubai or wherever else it's going. Istanbul, yeah. It keeps growing. Yeah. It's astonishing. Yeah. But let's back up. When did you get into wine and why? Um, I was, I grew up, I mean, I'm a, from an immigrant family, so we had wine on the table growing up. Um, dad made wine in the garage. Dad, dad still makes wine in the garage. No way. Seriously? Yeah, he asked Buys me, the grapes from California? He or? buys juice or grapes. Right. He tells me what he, like, the funny thing is, uh, like, he'll tell me, like, what should I buy off this? So I'll say, oh, it's from California. Get some Grenache. Get some Syrah. Blend this and see how it happens. And he's like, wow, this is the best I've ever made, like, five years ago or something. So, uh. Yeah, it's always fun to go see him and have some, like, real natural wine, if you want to, you know, best way to say it. That's fun. And what's your nationality? Uh, Macedonian. Okay. Yeah. Which has a tradition going back 
millennia yeah. for winemaking. Yeah. People don't realize. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, you think about Italians, and it's almost it's the other side of the sea. So yeah. yep. very similar, you know, old country. Even Georgia and the Soviet Caucasus has a wine tradition. That, yeah. I mean, the, the amphora. I mean, it was exactly right. I, I, we just moved to Kew Gardens in Queens, and we walked into a T and I walked into the wine shop, and there's a bunch of Georgian wines. I'm like, whoa, how? It must be a Georgian populace. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, great. You know, twelve dollar bottles of wine. I know where to get. You know, I know. I know <laughs> to experiment with next. Yeah, it's great stuff. So it's funny. I think all over the world, once people, I mean, it was like the next thing after mead. Was was wine because mm-hmm. you had grapes growing, you had naturally occurring yeast, you crushed the grapes to make grape juice. You noticed something happened after that on the way to vinegar, yeah. and then it was how do we slow this down and how do we play with it? But it's it's it, I mean it's I think in our blood that that far exactly exactly. So grew up in a family that was into wine. <laughs> We're getting distracted. <laughs> Astoria in the house. We're gonna get. We're going to have. I don't know if there is such a record. But if there's Guinness people listening, um, <laughs> Risto and his darling wife, Tia Keenan, who I've known forever, who was one of the real cheese evangelists in this city, um, had a baby, Stereo. Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, Stereo. And as I am a product of the modern world, I reluctantly have to be part of the social media thing, although I'm really a stumble bum at it but I'm on Facebook they're my friends so they just had a baby and I've seen pictures of this baby and I'm in love with your kid he Man. is I sent you an email the other day and said the last picture I saw he was wearing these black and white striped horizontal striped leggings he's in his uh, he's in his Iggy, pa- Iggy Pop pants and he had these green cool shoes on and T was kind of holding him up and he just had this smirk on his face and if I'm not mistaken I said your boy is a baller yeah. he's just a shit. <laughs> he is a shit and he knows it that's the scary thing you don't smirk like that at three if you can't back it up so we're going to try and get him to say something, not say because he's three months old we're going to try and get him on the radio to make a baby noise so at the end look forward if nothing else if you're bored to shit listening to Risto and I talk about uh, wine. Stay tuned for the last two minutes when we actually get a three-month-old to give the first radio interview He hasn't interview seen of his me life. all day, so he'll probably do a little something. Yeah. He'll do something. We'll, do, yeah. we'll get him, and I'll shut up because I make, you know, you never know how they're going to react to like strangers yeah. with big noses. We don't want to lose friends on Facebook because we're putting kids on there, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so so you grow up in the wine world, but then what? What drew you? So then, I mean, um, yeah, I first I, came I, here, you were John George for a long time. Yeah, John George, seven years, amazing. Um, but hired there as in the wine program? I was hired there in the wine program. You know, obviously, you got to wait and, you know, do your time training. Was a captain for a few months, but then a spot opened up. And, uh, yeah, I just dove into the deep end. And, I mean, deep end. I was pretty excited, green, but, like, ready. And, um, yeah, two years later, put my head down, became Chef Sommelier at 25. and. Huge. And just loved it. I um, do you do continuing ed courses? Because I'm did you do? I mean, had I'm, and you're doing I'm, a lot of tasting at John George. Obviously, you're doing, but it, was there stuff you did at night or on your day off? Or I mean, I've been I'm taking my MS exam next month for the sixth time. Dude, I know that. I know, and I'd rather not discuss what a torturous yeah, endeavor okay. that is. I think I think people uh, <laughs> I think people empathize with that. I mean, people who've passed and who haven't. And um, but no, no, I've been a student in that realm since yeah i pretty much got out of college but i grew up in restaurants my dad uh had diners in rochester i um went to cia right after high school i knew i wanted to cook when i was 14 uh, when i was 14 he taught me how to cook i worked the line with him when i was 16 basically no i started when i was 14 
running the line with him when I was four, uh, 16, flipping eggs and diner stuff and pancakes it's, and all that stuff. It doesn't matter. It's the restaurant business. And, uh, yeah, I went to CIA and then knew I wanted to move to New York. I was in New York when I was 20 and um, got really into wine because I kind of got into the front of the house by then uh, to change things up. And, um, yeah, uh, took some classes, worked at March Restaurant at the time. and. Uh, Wayne Nish, yeah. yeah, I know, I know, yeah. I remember Joe, that restaurant, Joe Scalise, yep. and uh, that was that was a great place. Um, bit my teeth on wine there, and went to JG. And where was uh, March then? What part of town? It was in Sutton Place, by the bridge. Yeah, it was the old Breathe. Exactly. I was at Breathe. Yeah, I was not on my resume because <laughs> Pritzker had two sets of menus. One with my name on it and one with his for when critics came in. <laughs> I ain't shit you not. And when I found out, I was like, you I know, know that. What? That does. It's Fuck a... you. This wasn't the deal, pal. Yeah. So just to let you know, if you hear any baby cooing, gurgling, laughing noises, Stereo was in the house. Oh, he's got the smile. He's ridiculous. We're not going to get this interview done. I, no, we are. We are. Okay. So, uh, way too distracting for me. Forget yeah, about I, mean, you. I mean, I mean, in a nutshell, you know, I. I must do. I mean, I grew up in restaurants. I I have the common sense, which is I think the most important thing. And I just fell in love with wine. Moving when I moved into the city, wanted to learn about it. Loved the smells. Wanted to know why things were different. Um, you know, knew it was an art. Knew it was a commodity. Knew everything, and felt like wow, this can possibly be a career move for me when I was twenty, twenty-one years old. And um, it was good timing. I was going to say, what year was that? Yeah, no, calendar. Uh, I was twenty-one. What, what year? What ninety-nine? Uh, t- no, two thousand one. Because we was, I had this discussion a while back with um, well, Roger Dagorn, who you probably know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. and Paul Greco afterwards. My one of my early jobs in New York City was at the Maurice Restaurant with Christian Delouvrier, and we had a sommelier there named Roger Dagorn. And I just kind of figured this wasn't uncommon. The truth is, back then. If if I were to ask you to name eight restaurants in New York in the nineties that had Psalms, you'd have trouble naming four. Oh yeah, no, they, no, no, it didn't exist. It was I, a job that didn't exist. We, you know, I owe everything to these guys. You know, I mean, you can name those, you know, Jean Luc Delu and Roger Lagorn and David Newlin and and you know, I mean, granted, I I didn't move to the city until two thousand, so you know i came here right after the bubble of the internet and you hear all these great stories so of course for me it was more glammed up but um you know after a few years and being at jg and you really like and these and especially the guys that are still around because this career is definitely it's not for everyone and it does burn you out so you need to balance yourself out but um yeah i mean i owe we the wine community yeah. i mean it's grown because of these guys and their consistency and, and this, this you know. and and luckily we live in a great city and it's lockstep with the public's interest. Yep. So that now you know the the idea now of running a serious dining room and not having either a psalm on the floor or a staff that really knows the shitload about wine is yeah. unheard of. Yeah. No. I mean, there's where I think those guys. Well. They say you're, wel- you're welcome. Yeah. I think I can speak for them. So let's talk about it. What, what did you bring in? So it's Italian. It's I, uh, white. It's, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's, you know. Is it volcanic soil? What am I drinking Yeah, yeah. We're, we're drinking, I can taste that. We're drinking mountains. That's um, what Yeah, we're getting kind of – I don't want to get too geeky, but it, I mean, of course, I'm – Are we down by – are we down near Naples? No, for, you know, just uh, further south. Further south? Yeah. Holy mackerel. Like a different island. Sicily. Yeah. 
Sicily. We're starting with some Sicily. Yeah, I'm doing mountain wine. So this so. is Etna wine. Etna. So this is why it has this. I mean, as soon as I taste it, I could taste yeah. volcanic soil. There's almost a little sulfur in the nose, but in the same way that I'll find that in Greco di Tufa or mm-hmm. Falangina yeah. from around Vesuvius. Yeah, sea breeze, salty, yep. seashell. But yep. um, yeah, I really love these wines. Um, this is kind of still off people's radar. Um, you know, you know Chablis. I love Chablis. So this is like where I say, like, if you love Chablis, try some Etna whites. Because, I mean, they grow this – I was there a couple of years ago, and I was like, I can't believe how long it took to get up to the mountain. And um, it's like, you know, they start the whites at like six, 600. I mean, I don't want to – yeah, yes. 600 meters above. So it's like, yeah, it's cold up there. I mean, you think it's Sicily, but they have some nice microclimates and mac- macroclimates and stuff. But, um, yeah, this is, uh, this is from uh, Bonatti. Um, I love this producer. Uh, this is their basic Etna Bianco, and it's like 60-year-old vines. And this is like, you know, less than 20 bucks at a shop. It's crazy, it's crazy right? You know, you're drinking these like, oh, what are the old vines and all this stuff? It's and, you know, we serve this by the glass at like a couple of the restaurants. I think it's a super, it's a steal. I mean, you're drinking, you're eating oysters, you're eating... Uh, any white fish. Any white fish. Any white fish. I mean, Michael crudos. White, a little crudo. It's, yeah. got the, it's got that mineral spiny backbone that's going to stand up to all that citric and yeah. all that oil or whatever. Exactly. And, you know, it has that, like, I think of, like, this white, dusty kind of mineral, like you said. And I love Etna uh, for that reason, both the whites and the reds. But the whites, I'm kind of, you know, I have this spot in my heart for. So. It's... So I've been drinking wine all my life, and you got to continue to learn. I'm not a snob. I don't have the money to drink the big Burgundies and Bordeaux, so we'll just kind of skip those discussions. I'm sorry I didn't bring those for you tonight. Yeah, well, don't worry about it because be, I don't have reference points for them. I, they, I, I kind of grew up when I was a kid in restaurants. That's all we had, so I, I remember tasting them because that's all you know. When you worked in great French restaurants back in the 70s and 80s, that's all we had. Yeah. Italy didn't exist really. No, no. And even the Four Seasons, the wine list, even though it was Four Seasons champion Americans, it was Burgundy. And, and Sicily didn't get on the map really until the late 80s. Um, um, I mean, it was kind of just all mass production. I mean, Sicily makes the second amount, uh, second most amount of wine of all the 20 states there, but it's all bulk, like Marcella and correct, all that stuff. Correct, so, A lot of it was just junk that was shipped off for blending. Cooking, that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, no, they're, um, they, they, they've really cleaned things up in the last 20 years, especially the last 5 to 10 years. And you, you're finding, you know, there's obviously not a lot of production, so some wines are expensive, but they are definitely have their own thumbprint of style. I discovered at at fifty something, I discovered Morello Nerello de Mascalese yeah. like, at Neroso, and I remember like going to my local wine store. I lived in the Lower East Side, and I went to September, which is a great little store, good curate selection. And I told them what I was having for dinner. That's always a discussion. I come in, they get to know you. Like, here's what I'm making tonight. Here's kind of what I'm looking for, um, and they said, "Try this." <clears throat> never, I okay, never heard of it. I remember going home, and we'll talk about we'll talk about wine, um, Risto, in terms of how you look at it. Because this is so. I remember going home, uncorking the wine, pouring it into a glass, and the first thing I noticed was the color. And I was like, "Holy fuck! This is really interesting." You could see straight through it. Yep. It was that really kind of almost like a lighter gamay Pinot Noir mm-hmm. kind of a thing, yep. which tells you something about the wine. Yeah. Swirl it around the glass. Look at the legs. Interesting. Put it to my nose and I'm just blown away. So much aromatics. So much aromatics. Yeah. And then fr- I remember drinking the almost drinking the entire bottle before dinner. It was so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And balanced. This, so balanced and wonderful. And this yeah. was like an eighteen or twenty dollar bottle of red. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. I mean, what I'm bringing here is like also like that. Like nothing here is. I mean, I brought a red too. So I'm gonna talk hopefully... about what you look at because you have Asimov had a really interesting piece a mm-hmm. while back. 
Um, we could talk about the wine club some other time because that's an interesting thing that he's doing. And I kind of like that he started with Bordeaux. But anyway, the discussion. But he was writing about – what was he writing about? Was it Savignier? He was writing about a wine. But he talked about the difference between what you do uh, as a trained psalm because you, you're doing this every day how you analyze and taste wine versus how consumers experience it, which is drinking wine. Yeah, it, they're – yeah, I mean – his, his point was that you're going to be sitting down with yeah. guys coming in saying, here's wine today. You're going to taste 25 bottles I'm, a day. I'm, I'm, you know, sommeliers are an extra – you know, that step of service. They're, they're – you know, we're trying to pamper you and – at least, you know, it depends on the setting. You know, you have John George Four Stars, so, you know, you want to be taken care of. You have Osteria Marini, which is, like, you know, loud and lively, and you just want something to drink. Um, it just it depends on the moment and where you're at. But, yeah, sommeliers, I mean, our job is just to try to find what you want to drink. And, unfortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, it can be intimidating or unintimidating as long as, I mean... And what I try to teach my psalms is just don't be intimidating. Try to find exactly what they're looking for. That's mm. your job. Mm. You know, we'll, Listen, ha- we'll have something on the list for them. Just right. find what they're looking to drink. Which is great because it used to be I had I I won't tell it again. I remember had I mean there used to be the sense that oh no here comes the sommelier I'm fucked yeah. because they're gonna upsell me shit and they're not gonna listen to me and it's gonna be I'm not I'm a working class guy I'm a chef this is my day off. This is my big meal. Don't be pushing yeah. stuff to me no, that's 150 bucks because no, no. I don't have that kind of jack. No. So, I mean, a good sum. Roger Dagorn said this to me. Ask, what do you like to drink normally? What do you drink normally? And what What's you like? your price range? Yeah. And what do you think is going to work with this pairing? You give me that direction, and I'll give you a low, a middle, and a high choice. No, and then you pick. Listen, it, that's, if we didn't have every kind of caliber to like chefs and the blue chip guys and – you know, the neighborhood people and then the tourists. Like, New York's amazing. I get, you can get everything sold to everyone every night, meaning, like, as a right. sommelier, it's a sommelier right. dream because you right. can taste the cool stuff from the Beaujolais and Jura, which I'm going to give you the flip side right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, you can go and drink your, like, high end Bordeaux. Like, it, it depends the situation you're in. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, you. This is, I mean, this is why I love my job because I, I, I have so many restaurants I'm looking over right now, and I have to worry about like finding the best ten dollar bottle of wine in Nicoletta, but then I also have to find like the great like what are the the best like hundred dollar Barolos I can put on an Ifiori and Ristorante Marini and all those kind of things. So it's I have a really great canvas to work with, and that really makes you know you think like I, I you know when people like friends like you come in and stuff, I just I want to like impress you and like show you new things. And and talk about I mean because you you touched on it with Sicily and I've just well we have a couple of minutes left it's amazing well you got you're <laughs> you're good we're doing an hour and a half show um, no no we no. Had, so talk about the I'll come back with Burgundy the world of wine ha- the world of wine how it see so talk about so you just pour me another wine and I'm looking at this wine look at this color yeah. much like the Norello much yep. like we're getting this really light so I'm thinking it's a red. From an area that has altitude, it's not going to be. Let me just give you a hint. There's a mountain on the cover. I'm sorry, on the label. This is oh, in the nose. Holy mother of God! <laughs> what now? How do you describe? I mean, 
I mean, there's this beautiful fruit component, but there's something else back there that I right. can't quite put my so, finger on. So, I mean, listen, there's this movement now with more natural wines, more like higher acid, all this stuff. And I, I, listen, everyone has their thing. I mm. just feel like if you mm. really, I mean, you know, California Cab and Pinots, and I, and I love everything. Like, I, I like every, more colors in the rainbow, the better. But these kind of wines, especially this time of year now, you're like, it's getting warmer outside. You want, like... If you can love the nose as much as you love the palate, you're like you're in business, and you're more. So we've got this great fruit, super ripe fruit, red yeah. fruit, What's berries. Like, there's only one grape that smells like this, and it's probably one of the grandest grapes in the world. Pinot Noir. Uh, no. Well, other, I'm not in, in, Noir. in Italy. In Italy. Oh, this is Italian. Yeah. No shit burger. So it's not Nebbiolo. What is it? It is Nebbiolo. It's Nebbiolo. Okay, well, I'm close. I don't but feel it's Nebbiolo from Valdosta. <sighs> That's where this is from. Yeah. So it's right on the like right on the further south. This mountain fruit, the most mountainous region in Italy, which is Valdosta, right in the Italian Alps. And what would this retail for? Twenty um, something. Yeah, twenty under twenty five. That's not. That's my price. I mean, that's like my price range is eighteen to twenty five, and I'll go to twenty six. Yeah, it's on my wine list at Ifiori, which you know, like, is one of the more luxurious restaurants we have for like fifty five bucks, fifty two dollars. So it's one of the more affordable wines on our list. Delicious. T- who's the producer? Who's the? Yeah, I mean, it's a cute little bottle. Yeah, uh, Lakira. Uh, Lakira is the producer. Um, there's seven different. I'm not going to get technical. It's basically mm. the the mm. last two regions mm. in Valdosta, closer to Piedmont, obviously, because it makes Nebbiolo, and uh, it's. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's 100. percent The law is 70. percent I know how. You, I know how Italy is. Like I'm studying right now, so you know. I know it's like Chianti <laughs> with the 80 percent, and then where they're the three great, and they keep changing it. Like yeah. every two years, they make new rules. It's Italy. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so um, I was, it was I was comp- contemplating between this and uh, Valtolina, which is also Lombardia mountain fruit for Nebbiolo. Uh, but I figured this was like no one really knows about it, and. Why not get geeky on Heritage Radio? It's delicious. <laughs> I was so talking about wine lists and geeky and fun places and chefs and restaurateurs' dreams. I had dinner again last night at Pearl and Ash. Oh, which, well. Ridiculous. Yeah. Richard Co- he, re- killing it in the kitchen. And the kitchen's a complete piece. He cooks off induction burners. Oh, yeah. A mini fry. I mean, how that food. Patrick's one of my best friends. Patrick is insane. Yeah. So I came in yesterday. He's my yin to the yang. I had a. We were eating a lot of fish for the beginning part of the menu. I had a Sauvignon, which is that funny Loire Valley mm-hmm. Anjou um, Chenon Blanc, and, and I poured it in the glass, and I was surprised at the color because it was a little darker than I thought. And, and by organic wine, first couple of minutes, I was thrown off by the amount of oak that was there. I was just like, "This is kind of unusual," and I'm not a huge fan of oak and integrated. How this happened, I don't know. Within 15 minutes, the oak was gone, or it had. Step yeah. Back yeah, 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 yeah. And let everything else come. And then the wine opened up to this melon and ripe fruit yeah. and the mineral. It was just like the perfect wine. But it took 15 minutes. Where'd that oak go? Well, this is the thing. Like, whenever I used to do. Big barrels. I asked, I asked Patrick yeah. about it. And he said big wet, barrels. Yeah, I mean, it's probably like wet, like kind of like little mossy, wet wood, old school. I mean, knowing what. I can imagine what it was. But, um, I mean, I used to. When I used to do. When, when I do wine pairings and I guess I pour something for them and I, I really have thought and I really want to pair this with a dish and if a guest doesn't like it right away I go please just taste it with the food Yeah, and if, he sure. doesn't, if you don't like it I'll check I mean like literally right. I'm like watching like a hawk I want to make their first bite and taste it and, and Sauvignon is one of those wines too especially but yeah, that stuff yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, it is not, this is not drinking quaffing this is put food in front of me yeah. I need to chew and have that marriage oh no that wine I mean it's one of the most uh, yeah Chenin Blanc is one of the most in, impressively intense un, 
you know, like underrated, un- underrated I agree. grapes. I mean, you got to have Pascaline on here. Show. I did. You did? <laughs> I did. There you, you go. Talk. We waxed poetic about There you go. It's the greatest wine. I mean, what other wine can you make? Sweet, it. bubbly. Is it, is it, where are you from again? Uh, Loire Valley, but yeah. that's not why. <laughs> With that sideways smile that she does. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah. Risto, great to have you. We killed it. You know, it's so funny. I used to do commercial radio where half an hour meant more like 15 minutes. And I, when I first got to this microphone, I was like, oh, my God, an hour? Well, this went by. So we're going to have a little – we're going to try and get the little baby here. Don't hand – he's going to cry when he no, sees me. No, he's not. He's like, my boy doesn't cry. Are you sure? Yeah, he doesn't right. cry at all. I've had a couple of you. Come here. Come here. There you go. All right, so this is my – we're going to have a little interview here. Yeah. He's not going to talk much. There's a, he's good with a microphone. Very good. He so I've got little yeah. stereo with me, and he's, if he Googles, he doesn't. Are you going to say something there, Big Daddy? No. I think you're going to have, I think with your dad and mom, you're going to have a pretty good life. Yeah, good food, good wine, good restaurants. Things are going to be good. We're letting, you know, he's smelling. He right? he's, we're letting him smell everything, because that's how we're going to, we'll start the palate out, just with the smell, and then when he <laughs> eats food, we can really expand it. That was Tia Keenan, and Risto's been my guest. We'll have him back on this show before he's so much fun to talk about. Oh, hold oh. on, baby. No, hold on. I'll give him back to you. Oh, no. Seems he might be nervous. No, he's it's not, been a while so since mean. Mikey's held a baby. He's the coolest. Folks, he's so cool. <laughs> you've been listening to Mike Calameco's Food Talk on Heritage Radio. We've burned up a good hour and we could do it time and time again. Reese, I'll have you back because we have so much to talk about. Take Mike, care. Th- thank you very I'll be much. Back and let me say what's coming up next week so I can chill for the show. Who's on next week? I've got a good one. Uh, oh, Jordana Rothman and her Daniel Krieger, who are like the Brooklyn Uber foodie couple. Um, I got a guy, Sean, a fisherman, Dr. Dish, and a chef from Chicago, Thomas Lenz. So three guests next week. Stay tuned for that. See you then. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.